Mick. I'm going to be trying hard for you with this podcast today. Let's go to work. You're going to have to learn your cliches. You're going to have to study them. You're going to have to know them. Well, you know, you go out there and you give 110% and you want to play good and, you know, you hope you play good. I think we play pretty good tonight. Well, you know, there's no I in the word team, and this is a team effort. Ten, five, touchdown. Oh, man, you know, you just got to play one game at a time and go out there and give 110%. All right. Play ball. Good day, filmy lovers, and thanks for strapping in your earbuds and taking in the 57th edition of Scoring at the Movies, the sports movie podcast that drops every other Thursday. Ready yourself now for a litany of spoilers, probably about the entire Rocky series. I'm the illiterate sweetheart who ain't punchy, but with this hearing aid, I hear stupid things better. Ryan Ellis. And here's the master of disaster who can see like a beagle or something like that. What does that even mean? And whose marriage proposal was probably, I wonder if you wouldn't mind marrying me very much, Lord Christy Gregorio. Thank you, Ryan. Gonna be a greasy, fast Italian monster. Gonna eat lightning and crap thunder. (laughs) <laughs> That's what I thought, too. But he says, you're going to be a greasy, fast Italian monster, at least in one scene, just before he says you're going to eat lightning crap thunder. I always said greasy, oh. fast Italian tank, too. Monster works. I like it. The monster. And somehow that proposal was still more romantic than my proposal to Allison. How is that possible? <laughs> you didn't say you wouldn't mind marrying me very much? <laughs> yeah. Where I asked her to smell my finger shortly before proposing. I could see that. <laughs> you resemble that remark. <laughs> That's what happens when I get nervous. My brain shuts down, and then I turn into a 10-year-old boy, apparently. (laughs) Okay, well, let's break open some beverages. I have the bourbon flu, so I am drinking water only today. Our listeners can be disappointed in my stone-cold soberness. What do you have? (laughs) You're going to be even more critical of this movie than normal. I have the label-less can of beer. The mystery can, if you will. (laughs) I found this in my fridge, and there's no label on it, so we'll see. I think I remember buying this. Smells like beer. Tastes like beer. We have beer. Don't ask me where it's from or what it is. The other reason I'm drinking water is because I'm in training, and I shouldn't be drinking while in training. I'm not in training I was going to ask you why you were wearing a sweaty white undershirt on the podcast, Ryan, and constantly punching at the air, but this makes a lot more sense now. There's no meat handy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Sam, come here. <laughs> no, no, I can't even joke about that. Animal abuse. What's wrong with you, Chris? All right, so we finally do Rocky 2, which you wanted to do for a long time. This is the fifth Rocky movie on this channel. Bab and I covered the original one for the Top 100 Project in 2015, I guess it would have been. And then she and I also did the first Creed. You and I have done Rocky 4 and Creed 2, so we're really out of order here. But we're going back to number two. <laughs> Which we've had disputes about before. I will say off the bat, I like the movie. In fact, I love all the Rocky movies, even the bad ones like Five, which is really the only truly bad one, but I still enjoy that one in, in its own way. But I've said it for a long time. This movie, and he would have made it better, but this is the movie that Scorsese would have made right until the middle point, and I guess the first Rocky as well. And he would have ended it with probably my favorite scene Stallone has ever done, one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever, the hallway scene with Mickey. Your career's over, kid. Maybe not end it there, but that's basically what happens at a Raging Bull. Lamada's on top of the world. He blows it. Not that Rocky blows it, but that's real life. And way too many careers in any sport end ignominiously. Look at Nolan Ryan, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, certainly one of the most famous. His last ever pitch blew out his arm, walked off the field, didn't have a World Series championship kind of thing. That was it. And that's the way most athletes end their careers. So the second half, as much fun as it is, as much as I enjoy it, I just don't buy it at all, partly because... He can't even see to drive. He says it to Polly. I can't yeah. see to make right turns. He didn't see it coming when Mickey slaps him in the face. How could he last three punches against the best fighter in their world, the Rocky world? He should have died. He should have been retired, but he keeps on fighting. That's my problem. I love the movie, but I really hate that element that Stallone took this very realistic movie. The first half isn't even about boxing almost at all, except the recap from the first film, which is six minutes. We see six minutes of Rocky one before Rocky yeah. two gets going. But otherwise, it's not really a Rocky movie for a long time as far as the boxing goes. And then it gets to be a fantasy. Okay, that's my long-winded rant. What do you think about the movie entirely? What do you think about that part? My problem with it? Go ahead. Well, first, you mentioned that six-minute sequence at the beginning of the movie. I forgot how long that six-minute recap intro is, but I like it. 
I like it a lot because so much of this second movie is grounded in the notion of how much punishment Rocky has taken and the toll it's taken on him. He takes more punches in one fight than probably any boxer in reality takes in their whole career and leads with his head. A, that's the Simpsons gag, right? Where they call Homer the brick hit house. It's all based on Rocky, <laughs> right. right? The opponents punching themselves into, not submission, but punching themselves until they're so exhausted. Oblivion. So exhaustion. And then he just basically comes back and beats them. That's his whole thing, though. He can just take more punishment than any other human alive. He's not the best fighter. In fact, I think at various points through the series, he admits that he's not the best fighter. But like he says to his son in Rocky Six. You take the hit, you keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. And this is where that legend of Rocky, the ability to take more punishment than anyone else, just through sheer force of will. Like he says during the fight, I ain't going down no more. That was kind of a a cross between Mick and Rocky. I can't do Rocky. I'm going to leave that to you. (laughs) I ain't going down no more. At the end of round two. I wasn't sure it was in this movie. I know that line from this series. I forgot it was in this movie. And it's after round two. And apart from when he slips at the end when he knocks Apollo out, he doesn't go down anymore that I can remember. No, he doesn't. That's right. That's it. And that's where the legend of Rocky being the man of will. What's the other movie where that's the thing? Is it The Usual Suspects where they talk about Kaiser Soze being the man of will and he just does things that nobody else is willing to do? This is kind of like the boxing equivalent of that. From a certain perspective, you're absolutely right. This movie is almost two different movies. You've got the gritty real-life thing that happens for the first half of it, the first hour or so, and then it kind of morphs into the superhero movie for the latter half. Muhammad Ali is a huge fan of the, or was a huge fan, I should say, of the Rocky movies. Openly said, there's no chance in hell that the fight would ever happen the way it happened. We know that Rocky was also based on a real-life fighter. What was his name? Wepner or something, I think? Chuck Wepner. Chuck Wepner, right. Who took Muhammad Ali to the limit in the mid-70s. Didn't win. He lost by decision to Muhammad Ali, but the fact he took him to the limit as some, maybe not club fighter like Rocky was in the first movie, but similar enough to that, that was where Stallone got his story from. Ebert interviewed Muhammad Ali when this movie came out, Rocky Two, and asked him about the realism of the fights, and Ali was a big fan of the way the fights are choreographed. They may not be the most realistic fights in the world, and I think that's pretty evident in the way they're shot, but there's a lot to like about them in the way they're staged and the drama of them. He loves them, but in his eyes, no fighter with the background of a Rocky would ever go the distance as Rocky does in number two. He might lose, but he would never win. The best shot he would have would be to try to just go all out and land a lucky punch on the champ and knock him out quick before the greater skill edge of Apollo Creed came into play. So from that perspective, I can't argue with it. It's unrealistic. And this is where you start seeing that slide away from the realism of the first Rocky into the superheroism of subsequent Rocky movies where he just essentially sticks his face out and tells Clubber Lang, ain't so bad, ain't so bad. Ivan Drago says, oh, he's like a rod of steel. He's like a piece of iron. Piece of iron, there it is, yeah. I can't argue the point because it is unrealistic. But from a piece of cinema perspective, I still love it. And how many times have we talked about a movie where I'm like, if you made that movie again, I would want Team X to lose, right? I lauded Friday Night Lights for that because the team lost. And something like that goes a long way towards a sense of pathos at the end of the movie that you can still enjoy a sense of triumph even in defeat sometimes. In this particular case, I think it works. And I think it works more interestingly when you know that in the original Rocky the studio and everyone were pushing for Rocky to win in Rocky 1. And it was only Stallone's insistence that he wouldn't do the movie under those circumstances that led to Rocky actually losing the decision in the first movie. They had to change something up, obviously. You can't have a sequel where it goes Apollo Creed just beating the tar out of Rocky. (laughs) Okay, that was totally unsatisfying. No, I completely agree with that. I make that point about how he should never have won and how he probably should have been crippled for life. He should have been poignant. But the movie doesn't get made if he loses again at all, let alone if he gets pulverized and maybe, maybe not die, but beaten so badly that he can't even function in life. Because that's why he's doing this, is just to be able to function in life by making it one more big payday, because he can't read, so he can't do the commercials. Although he does learn how to read through the movie, so maybe he can do commercials a second time with different people. And he does do commercials in the interim, because at the beginning of Rocky Three, you see him beating all kinds of soup cans that Mickey set up just so he has these easy guys to beat as champion. But he also does all kinds of media stuff, some of which was just Stallone doing real things, like being on The Muppet Show. That was just Stallone appearing there, and they call him Rocky. 
So he could have maybe gotten commercials from this if his career was over because he couldn't do it anymore, along with the payday he would have gotten from it, get some hats. Then he might have been able to do the commercials after all because now he can read, at least well enough. The studio would never want to make the movie if he lost again. Because right. where's the real drama if he loses all over again? Or if he gets badly hurt, that would be stupid. It's not a documentary. <laughs> that would be an amazing sequel to put out. Everyone expecting the triumph. And at the end of it all, you just have Apollo Creed beating Rocky into a semi-comatose <laughs> state where he's crippled for life. And everyone's just like, what the hell is this? Well, we talked about the studio, so let's talk about the critics. And the studio sometimes go hand in hand. Rotten Tomatoes, 71% of critics like this film. It's not terrible. 6.5 out of 10 was the average. 82% of audiences. Not surprising that the audiences like it more. The Rotten Tomatoes numbers on the sequel steadily went down until the more recent three. So Balboa was well-reviewed, the one from 2006 that Stallone came back with. And these two recent creeds have done quite well with the critics and decent at the box office. This was third at the 1979 U.S. box office. Kramer vs. Kramer was number one. Alien was number five. Apocalypse Now was number six. And we've covered all of those on the Top and Under Project channel. Bev and I have, that is. Rocky IV of the whole series is the biggest hit. Just real money. I can't find adjusted for inflation numbers the way I used to because IMDb or Box Office Mojo, maybe it was them, changed those numbers. So the real money... Rocky Four is the biggest hit of all the movies, every single one, including the Creed films. Then it's Rocky Three, the one with Mr. T, then the first one, then Creed Two, then the first Creed, then Rocky Two, Rocky Balboa, and of course, Part Five. And one more critical number I mentioned here is that Sly was nominated for the Worst Actor at the Stinkers Bad Movies. That was before the Razzies, so it would have been a Razzie probably. And I don't agree with that at all because I love him in this film. Yeah. And let's just get back into the scene I said I love so much is when he goes to Mickey's place to say, think about fighting. First of all, he's told he has no more career. I've been trying to get a career for years, and I finally get when you say it's over. <laughs> That's a great well, line. Like he's right, it should be over. That whole scene between the two of them, when he does the finger trick, and he came and see the finger till it's about, I don't know, maybe six inches away. Yes, Apollo Creed especially would have destroyed him. I already made that point. But then what works so well, with tears in his eyes, can I just help out around here? I've got to be around it. I've mentioned that line about people lots of times in other podcasts you and I have done, 57 episodes now. The I got to be around it guy. Yeah, I would be that in baseball if I ever had a job in baseball. If I was ever a player, I would be and I got to be around it guy. And I love that he's fighting back tears as he says this to Mickey, which is just, I will schlep water buckets for you because I have to be involved in boxing and I can't do the other things I'm failing at. That is one of the best scenes anyone's ever shot. And Stallone directed this movie too. It wasn't John G. Avildsen who did the first movie and the fifth movie. And of course it wasn't Ryan Coogler who did the first Creed, where maybe Stallone's performance overall in the whole series is the best he ever gave the first creed but that scene in this movie is the best thing sly stallone has ever done i think what about you it could be it's a great scene and it's a spit bucket not a water bucket it's more disgusting than a water bucket right yeah i don't think it's the same scene but where i think it's when he's talking to adrian about wanting to fight again after he gets canned from the meat packing plant i got canned today yeah or it's not a meat packing plant i guess it's a butcher shamrock meats that's where Polly works yeah. In the first movie, which is why Rocky punches the meat, because he's visiting Polly, And then Polly ends up going back there on Rocky Balboa, the 2006 one. But what does he say? He says something like, the doctor said, wasn't recommended I fight again. I recommend that I do. As he told Mickey, he spent his whole life trying to get a career, and then he got one, and it's over. And he found out nobody wants him for anything else, which makes a lot of sense. How many professional athletes of any stripe did we see, at least... In 2020, certainly, but going back a few decades, there's been concerted efforts within the ranks of professional sport to educate rookies, manage your money, be smart about things. This isn't going to last forever. Plan for your next step in life. 1979, that didn't exist, though. Maybe their career just kind of up and ended for various reasons, injury or otherwise. Out of nowhere sometimes, especially with a baseball pitcher, for example, you blow your elbow. Boom. Back in early 90s still, you were done. If you're Nolan Ryan, who's also in his 40s, but still. Any pitch might be your last pitch, essentially. You try to figure out, what is my next step? And you find out, hey, I got grade 9 education, no practical experience, except apparently being muscle for this slimy Philadelphia monster guy. There's nothing there for him. He tries to manual labor. It doesn't work out. I don't blame the guy. He's got a wife with a child on the way. He just earned 37000 And I looked this up. $1979 to $2020. It's about four times now what it was then okay so not a bad payday yeah it's a pretty good payday but i love the house purchasing scene by the way what'd you say sixteen thousand dollars <laughs> or something as the first mortgage oh my 
God. $16,000. I think I tuned that out because I wouldn't have wanted to cry during this movie, at least at that moment, because they cost so much more than that here in Toronto. You know better than me because you guys own a house. We rent still. And we rent because we can't afford to buy without being house poor. These kind of funny little details really make me smile when I hear this kind of thing. Like knowing that Sly Stallone actually bought the car that Rocky drives in this movie. That's why it's Rocky's car of choice when he splurges on something. The little doggy collar turned wristband. It makes me want to get a matching wristband with my cat now, just so I can be pathetic, I guess. But... <laughs> Rocky's a very tacky guy. We've always known that. And this is a great example of in this movie. The watches are fine. They seem like they're okay. Yeah. The three he gets, one for Pauly, one for Adrian, and one for himself. But the jacket that he gets for himself, I guess Adrian's jacket is pretty nice. The car is fine, but yes, he doesn't really have huge goals. Which is fine. That's actually one of the reasons I like this movie amongst all the films, and I guess the first one too. Rocky is a very simple guy. He doesn't need to have a lot of great things. Oh, you'd have good things. But his version of good things, okay, they become really rich as the series goes on. But if he couldn't keep fighting after this movie and took that payday, the second payday, they would have lived fine. They would have lived a nice middle-class existence probably, maybe even slightly better than middle-class. They didn't have to be rich like they end up being. And of course, as the series plays on, Rocky Balboa and the two Creed movies, he certainly isn't rich anymore because Polly signed over their power of attorney to their lawyer who stole their money from them. But Rocky's got small goals. It's like in the first movie, I just want to go the distance against Creed. No one's ever done that before, which is what he does. And he gets Adrian. He gets his self-respect. He doesn't need to win. That's one of the reasons why I love this franchise generally, especially the early movies, for the reasons you cite. This Rocky character, at least in the first two, is so human. You don't have to love, I guess, Stallone's performance necessarily as an actor, but... I don't think it's anywhere close to warranting nomination for what would have been a Razzie or the equivalent of a Razzie way The back Stinkers when. Bad Movies, yeah. Yeah, I thought he perfectly portrayed the same type of character that we saw in the first Rocky that was so lauded, down-to-earth, simple, like you said, his worldview, what he's been exposed to, is so small and so narrow that he doesn't have all these complex desires that we see in Rocky in the later movies. It's a very grounded character just in his base desires, like you said. And that's part of the reason he's so lovable is because you want to see him succeed. There's a reason why Apollo Creed is always seen wearing three-piece suits and Rocky is just wearing his somewhat tacky, weird high heel boots around the not-so-great parts of Philadelphia. And the same jacket. He doesn't have multiple jackets. He has a couple, maybe, but he doesn't have a whole closet full the way Apollo does. Just one tiger jacket. That's all you need. <laughs> if he wasn't such a simple character... His relationship with Mickey doesn't work. Forget about his relationship with Adrian. That goes out the window because Adrian's such a soft-spoken, withdrawn character. She can't have the Apollo Creeds of the world as her beau. But you also can't have Mickey being the trainer to a character like Apollo Creed, one that's as bombastic and out there as he is. And that's why he's a natural foil to Rocky. And without Mickey's relationship with Rocky, this movie doesn't work. And that was one thing that I didn't really appreciate until rewatching it for this, is just how much of the emotional impact of this movie for me comes from Mick and what he means for Rocky. And we see that in Rocky Three. obviously Mickey dies, but in this one it's so much more subtle because he's first trying to be the protective parent to Rocky. You can't do it, kid. You're done. You're going to get moited out there. Moitalized. <laughs> be poimented. Yeah, but then he transitions from the protective parent into the, all right, you need The hockey this. dad. Well, Let's yeah. murder him! He's come to the realization that this is something that Rocky's going to need as much as anything else, right? So it's all right. If we're going to do this, let's mortalize him. Rocky already has come to ask him to train him for one thing. So it's not like it's Mickey's idea in the first place. But when he sees Apollo dogging him, and Apollo's a nice guy in all these films. He's cocky, but we do see the human side of him, especially in this movie. Somewhat in the first movie, definitely in four, the very human side of him. So well played by Carl Weathers for the most part, because he does have that braggadocious quality. But he isn't a complete prick. We don't really see anything of Mr. T or Ivan Drago other than no. them being jerks all the time. I love Carl Weathers' performance, too. The press conference is a perfect example of the difference between the two characters. Right? Because, of course, Apollo Creed has spent half the movie trying to draw Rocky out so that he can prove that he is the world champ. They're at that press conference where... He's agreed to the fight. I wish they had said how much money Rocky was going to make, because we know Rocky made $37,000 for the first fight. I think he said after taxes. And one reporter asks him during this press conference leading up to the second fight, your payday is pretty significant here. What are you going to do with the money? And that's when he lists all Get the... Get some hats. <laughs> 
Yeah, Paul, the Snowco machine. A couple quarts of perfume <laughs> for Adrian. She likes to smell nice. <laughs> How much money is worth his risking his health? Is it $100,000? Is it $200,000? I bet at least that much, yes. It's also in the Philadelphia Spectrum. I forget where the first movie is set, but I think it's supposed to be a smaller venue in Philly. That's the other thing, by the way, when you were talking a few minutes ago about Rocky's small goals. Is he the kind of person that's never left Philadelphia until oh, he becomes world champion? Never even left Pennsylvania. Maybe he's left Philadelphia, but he's never traveled the world. He's probably never even been to New York or in those kinds of places which aren't that far away. And both the first two movies take place in Philly. The Spectrum is only 15 minutes from my house. He may not have even left his neighborhood for most of his life. He just walked everywhere. Adrian says, we don't need a car. They even have a car. He carried her home after they got married. Oh, speaking of distance, incidentally, the training scene, running with the kids, the whole training sequence in this movie, which, of course, is the Gonna Fly Now song always plays over that. Through most of the Rocky movies, at least, is incorporated somehow. Not so much in Rocky Four, as we talked about a couple years ago when we covered that one. But that training sequence, I think I might like more than the first movie's training sequence, as great as that one was. I love the kids running with him, that go, 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 and he just starts sprinting and leaves the kids in the dust. That's a great little moment. Jumping around with them is really cool and sweet. The director is the one who's got to say, come on, kids, jump up down like this. It's probably the third or fourth take where they finally start doing it. But that's a fun little moment, too. But anyway. Rocky's run from where he's supposed to live to the museum where he ends up. There's a lot of expensive pictures in there, a lot of art. His house to that museum would be 30 miles. Yeah. Marathons are 26 miles. <laughs> so he's doing this every day. <laughs> he should be running marathons, not fighting people in the ring. He's a toned athlete, Ryan. He's a well-oiled machine. <laughs> that was pretty funny. I think somebody estimated that even if he maintained like a jogging speed of eight miles an hour, it would take him close to four hours to do that. You have to get home, too. Because you have to jog home. That montage, the training montage with the kids, I love it as well. But two things struck me this time. At one point during that montage, after he runs through Little Italy of Philadelphia, they come to a fountain. He's being followed by a couple hundred kids. And you see very clearly two kids in the front rows trip and fall and just get trampled by the kids behind them. I had to rewind really? it four <laughs> times through. You watch it like, wow. I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. And later on, of course, just before the go, go, go moment, they're running on a three or four lane main street at that point. They've left mm. all the signs. And nobody's streets. driving. There's a separating median and then there's traffic going one direction. It must be a one-way set of lanes. If you look at the traffic across the median, Rocky would be running towards oncoming traffic. And all I'm picturing in my head is there's a red light somewhere in front of Rocky. He's running towards the cars and there's a swarm of kids behind him and there's people at that light just going, what in the holy bleep is going on? <laughs> I'm trying to get home, man. I had a long day. <laughs> if you don't follow boxing, you have no idea why this man is doing this in the first place. Why is this guy with all these kids? What's going on here? Is he the Pied Piper? I don't get it. Yeah, it's very strange in a vacuum. But the press conference that was held before the second fight in this movie, again, it goes to Rocky's baseline kind simplistic perspective on everything one of the reporters asks him do you think you have a chance against apollo this time and he turns to apollo briefly looks back and says oh i don't know he looks pretty mad <laughs> right because <laughs> not that he doesn't care but he's never angry through the whole thing when it comes to the fight about anything whereas of course apollo creed is just raging about how everyone's ragging on him because he didn't destroy rocky the first time around that and then i can't remember what the question was but at one point Apollo freaks out. I think it's the last question he gets asked at the press conference. He freaks out and says, what does this look like to you, man? This looks some sort of kind of circus. Come on. They ask him if he can do some clowning shots, which oh, is where right. they get a lot of the posters for real fights from. And the irony of asking him for that, the reason why he loses and effectively loses his career, because this match at the end of this movie is the last time he ever fights. Well, apart from the Drago fight where he dies, but his last real fight. The reason why he loses that match and loses his career is because he does start clowning around during the match. You're too slow. He starts windmilling. He was going to take it stuff, seriously. Yeah. He told Duke, who's called Tony at one point in this movie. That is the guy's real name, Tony Burton. He's Duke and all the other sequels. But he tells him he's not going to mess around, but then he does in either round two or three. Yeah. And that's not the reason he loses, but that's definitely a reason he loses. Yeah, if you finish Rocky early, you don't have to go through the later rounds. Too slow, Saka, too slow. He's windmilling his right arm. Here it comes, here it comes, and then pounds Rocky a few times. The other great line in that press conference you didn't say yet, by the way, is the, Rocky, can you say something derogatory about Apollo? <laughs> derogatory. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> he's such a moron, but he's got so much personality, which he doesn't have in three and four, especially in four. We like four. We talked about that plenty a couple of years ago, as dumb as it is. I like three a lot. Most people do. It's one of the most successful movies in the whole series. 
but he doesn't have the same verbiage that he does in these first two movies. His turns of phrases, the sea like a beagle or something like that. What does that even mean? I see like a beagle? Yeah. Okay, dogs don't have the best vision in the world. See like a hawk would make more sense. But that's probably what he wrote in the first draft and thought, no, no, it'd be funnier if I said see like a beagle. But he doesn't do that in the sequels, the other sequels. And that's why I love this movie as much as anything else is even more than the first movie that personality aspect of Rocky comes through. The first one, he's just a downtrodden, not loser, but he's the guy that's trying to make He's a loser. Person. Okay, downtrodden loser. <laughs> it's a very low-key, morose kind of performance, but you don't get this kind of outburst of personality. The direct read of that is, okay, well, you know, he doesn't know what derogatory means, so yeah, he's great. Earlier in the movie, we have the scene where he's trying to film that commercial, and he tells the director, this is the way I talk, but I'm not stupid. I am punchy. I am punchy. So I like to think that, okay... He knows what derogatory means. He's just trying to come up with a clever quip. And this is his clever way of saying, oh, yeah, derogatory. Yeah, he's great. I don't think he knows what it means. I don't think so either. I don't think he knows what it means. But even if he does know what it means, he has such respect for Apollo, the whole film, all the films, especially the first two when he fights him. At the end, when he gets the title, such a class moment. Apollo gives him the title, pats him on the head, says, good luck. And Rocky says to him, you're great. Even though I just beat you, he has the class to say, you're great. Speaking of which, by the way, the fight at the end. I haven't done the nutshell yet after all this time. I'll do the nutshell. We've already covered this, but I wrote it, so let's read it now. Alliteration time. Uh-oh. In a nutshell, blind buffoon beats better boxer. Yep. Okay, so the end, though, I don't know if I'd ever heard this until reading for this movie this time. And I've seen this movie lots of times over the years. But when Rocky falls and slips, effectively, he does knock Apollo out. One second, one second, that's hard for a man of my intelligence to handle, he says in, I think, Rocky three. But because Rocky slipped on his own and Apollo didn't hit him, Rocky still would have won because you can't lose on a slip is what it said online. I guess some boxing person must have wrote that in the IMDb. So Rocky would have won anyway. This whole great drama, it's really well played. It's fun. And maybe Stallone knew that wasn't actually real, that he would have still won even if he didn't get up. But he does get up by one second, just barely. And the way the referee plays it, Lou Filippo, you're out. Like the shock that Apollo is the one who's out. How is that possible? But he is. And there wouldn't have been much time left. This is the 15th round. You're going down. No way. I don't know if there's more than a few more seconds left before that would have been the end of the round and then Apollo would have won by decision again. What would he have done if he didn't knock out Rocky a second time, but he did beat him again? Had he beaten him, what would he have done this time? Oh, one more thing, by the way. Your background picture on Zoom here this time, no one can see it but me, of course. It does say, I did it! And Rocky's holding up the title with Chris's face superimposed. It's really cute. But one thing I noticed with the I did it and you did it thing in this movie, when he finds out she's pregnant, he says, yo, Adrian, you did it. Then she says soon after in that same scene, basically, we did it. Of course, they both did. So you did it, we did it, and at the end, the famous line, Yo, Adrian, I did it. So he incorporates all three things at one time or another. You did it, we did it, I did it. One of the things that always rang a little false to me about this movie, and I didn't know the reason for it until recently, was the whole Talia Shire in a coma subplot. She had a conflict of shooting schedules, so they had to put her character in a coma because she couldn't be there for the filming of the final fight sequence. Well, she's not in the coma then, but she's in the she's coma. She's so She has obviously a miscarriage problem. Not miscarriage, she had the kid. They never say it in this series, but I think the reason why this Italian woman only has one kid, you're Italian, you know better than me, but only one kid is because she can't have any more. I don't think they ever even say that in this movie. Oh, ironically, by the way, she dies of uterine cancer, the woman cancer, which is not tied to this. It's many decades later. I didn't really think about those two things. Now I'm pondering. She has the kid, there's hemorrhaging during the premature labor as a result of her having to go back to work and lifting all the garbage can-sized pails of animal food, which is apparently all she does mm-hmm. all day is like these things around the store. So she's in the coma and then recovers just in time to tell Rocky, I want you to do one thing for me. Win. 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 Part of me really wishes that we could have seen, however this movie was originally written, I would like to have seen that because the whole notion of Adrian being totally against Rocky fighting again for his own health and the reasons you talked about already. She's not wrong. No, she's not wrong. But then he's distracted in his training like he almost always is. He certainly isn't Rocky 3 until she gives him the go-ahead. I think I said this in one of the other podcasts either that you and I did or that Bev and I did about the Rocky series is that how could he possibly ever fight again in Rocky Balboa? He doesn't fight in the two Creed movies at least. But how could he fight in Rocky Balboa when Adrian's dead and can't give him the go-ahead? Because every single time, she has to give him the go-ahead. In this movie, it's win. In three, it's the big argument in the beach. In four, she comes to Russia. 
In five, he doesn't have an actual match, but she's supportive enough to get out there and watch him beat Tommy up. And in the first movie, for that matter, just by being his girlfriend. So how can he possibly ever fight without Adrian being there to say one of those things? Win, go get him, whatever. I'm with you all the way. Well, because maybe she did. Don't forget, he visits her grave in Rocky Balboa. So Maybe he actually hears her. He does talk to those gravestones, Polly in right. the Creed films as well, by the time polly has gone. And thank God, because he's fine still at this point. Burt Young played Polly in six of the movies, the first five, and then he is in Rocky Balboa. He's dead in the two Creed movies. But by Rocky Balboa and even Rocky V, he is so insufferable. He has good moments in four. Like, down zip myself, I beat you. You're all hot, Rock. That's cute. He's pretty good in this film. He's certainly very good in the first film. And he's okay in three. But he got to be too much after a while. So I'm glad that they didn't keep on using him. And Talia Shire, I don't know if you said this already, she just had a scheduling conflict with some other film. That's why she isn't in right. this movie that much in the second half. She's in the coma. And then she has to stay home. There's that really bad overdub, too, where Burt Young says something like, Doctor said no about going to the fight. And I think they put that in there so that it could be very clear to the audience why she's not going and why Polly's not going, especially when it's 15 minutes away from their house. Well, that's exactly it. She couldn't film the fight sequences. But it feels incredibly unearned when she wakes back up from a coma. I don't think they ever actually say how long she was in that coma. It can't have been terribly long because the kid is still in the hospital when she wakes up. He never went home with Rocky, so a few days. Well, Rocky never even saw the kid until she woke up. He says that. Yeah, which we is got together. weird. So it could have been a terribly long time. His stubble and his beard is not that long either, so that's I part of it I think a few well. days. So what changed? She's in a coma, she wakes up. Is it the sudden realization that we only have so much time on this earth, so go do what you love, Rocky? Is that it? She never explains it, you're right. She wakes up and suddenly she's okay with it and tells him to go fight, and so he trains like an animal and wins the match. But what was the intervening thought process? So that little gap has always bothered me a little bit. I feel like there was something missing because of Talia Shire's shooting schedule, and maybe if we got whatever the original version was, there'd be a little bit more. He does say to her, I don't ever ask you to stop being a woman. Don't ask me to stop being a man, which is as far as he gets in trying to explain what this would mean for him as far as having a meaning in life, even though he has a kid on the way as well. You know what I love in those sequences in the hospital, though? Rocky's vigil until she wakes up. He really doesn't say much of anything. Well, he talks to her. Polly's there, and he's being a pretty good brother for once. But my favorite part of the whole thing, you said the Mickey-Rocky relationship, but Mickey, when he comes into the chapel, he says, if you're going to go down, I'll go down with you. Then he's just with him. And I wondered, do they ever talk? Because we see this montage. Of course, Rocky movies are known for their training montages, but they're also known for their hospital montages too, I guess. And Mickey's always there with him. Polly sometimes is, but Mickey really is. Now, you say yeah. it's not that many days. You're probably right. But Mickey's falling asleep in the hospital room with Rocky. When they have to leave the room and go to the chapel because they've been kicked out, visiting hours are over. Do they ever speak, I wonder? We don't see it. Rocky's basically giving Mickey the cold shoulder. So anyway, it doesn't matter that much. I just like the way that Burgess Meredith played that scene when he came in to say, I'm with you all the way no matter what. The other hospital scene we like so much, I think we talked about this in a recent film that wasn't about Rocky, was the scene, and it's really well played by both guys. It's only about 20 seconds or 30 seconds, but when they're both in the hospital at the beginning, Rocky and Apollo, Rocky's face is all bandaged up. He opens up the door in the middle of the night and says, Apollo, did you give me your best? Yeah. Yeah. Paul's got a lot of class. Rocky's got a lot of class. He just wants to know, did I stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the best and just barely lose? Only by decision did I lose. If Apollo didn't tell him that in that moment, or if he told him, listen, I'm being honest with you, no, I didn't really try my best. Maybe Rocky doesn't fight him in this movie, but because he knows he can stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with him, well, that's the only thing he really can do. He can't out-technique him. That's probably why he agrees to fight him as well. This series and this movie in particular, but this series in general, is almost like a series of oxymoronic ideas. I know Sylvester Stallone was always a big believer in the action in the ring seeming as realistic as possible, and in some respects... <laughs> yeah, I know. In the staging of it, in some respects, I can see that, but it's such a video gamey version of boxing that it bears no real resemblance to how actual fights look, at least not in the modern They're day. usually shot well. They're shot better in the Creed films, granted, especially the Ryan Coogler one, the first Creed, but they're shot fine. There's some good shots in this. Stallone directed two, three, four in Rocky Balboa, and of course he wrote the first six and was involved with writing the two Creed films. So he's always had some kind of creative control in these films. But as a director, is he Scorsese? Is he even John G. Avildsen? Maybe not, but he knows how to shoot the action. Apparently they edited the last fight, pretty much the only fight in the whole film, I guess, for something like eight months took forever. I didn't say, by the way, this movie came out in June of 1979, so 41 years ago. United Artists released it. They were a big power player back then. They did Raging Bull the next year. 
Same producers as well, Winkler and Chardoff, who produced all the Rockies, or at least a ton of the Rockies. One of them died before they got into the Creed films, I believe. I think it was Chardoff. And the movie grossed 12 times its budget, which is another reason why we saw Rocky 3, 4, 5, and so on, because this movie did not as well as the first, but not that far off either. But as entertaining as the action scene is and the training stuff is kind of fun to watch and parody a little bit, it's a series of movies that relies on its relationships. Part of the genius of Apollo Creed is that he is made to be the quote-unquote villain. And he's not really a villain because it's hard to hate the guy. But he's still, in the context of 1979 filmmaking, when it was always the rich, snooty, land developer, whatever villain, right? Late 70s, early 80s notion of upper crust wealth trying to beat down the up-and-coming underdog. He's wearing his three-piece suits. He's followed around by his entourage. We see Apollo Creed in his mansions. We see him have all the trappings of wealth and every reason to dislike the guy. But every time he has the opportunity to really undercut Rocky in an underhanded way, he doesn't. He takes the higher road. He could very easily, at the beginning of the movie, say, no, I didn't give you my best. I laid back in the cut like a fool or something, and you took me by surprise. But no, he's honest. He says, yeah, I gave you my best. Now, granted, later in the movie, we see him try to draw Rocky out into a rematch by issuing a cartoon in a newspaper that says Apollo Creed versus... The Stallion Chicken. Which is the worst. How is it not the Italian chicken in that cartoon? I know. He always loves calling him Stallion in all the movies. Maybe that's one reason why, because he calls him Stallion. He calls him Rock or Stallion, I think, in all the sequels when they're friends. Well, three and four. I don't think he ever really calls him Rocky. And also... Those guys that are dogging Rocky when Rocky's just the bucket cleaning dude and the sweeper upper, toughest thing you could say is, oops, those guys are so lame. (laughs) If that line had just somehow escaped the film writers in this and they just for some reason couldn't come to the Italian chicken, that's cool. But later on, when Rocky's walking down the street at night with Adrian, random dudes by the car start ragging on him and they call him the Italian chicken. Yeah, well, they're the guys from Mickey's Gym, so that's not random. They're people that we already saw ragging on Rocky anyway, before. Right, but the point being, it was in the film writers to recognize that the Italian chicken, as opposed to the Italian stallion, is right there. Well, that's Stallone, then. Stallone wrote this. Damn it, Stallone, you screwed it up. <laughs> what I did like was the image in that cartoon, right? Because it's Apollo Creed holding a literal chicken with Rocky's face by the neck. Through Rocky's training, we see Mick try to get him to catch a chicken. You're going to be a greasy, fast Italian monster. And I feel like a Kentucky Fried idiot. Mm -hmm. The last thing we see in his training before he's ready to actually fight Apollo is him catching the chicken. In the cartoon, Apollo's holding the chicken Rocky. But just before Rocky goes to the fight, he's holding the chicken. And is that like the film writer's subtle way of trying to say the tides have turned now, the shoe's on the other foot. Stallone does have some writing talent. He wrote a really good screenplay for the first one. I think this one's pretty good, too. William Goldman, one of the greatest screenwriters in Hollywood history, wrote Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, Princess Bride, both the novel and the screenplay. All the President's Men, he adapted that book. Won a couple of Oscars. He said that Rocky is a great script, a marvelous screenplay, apparently is what he said. And that was up against him in 1976 when he won for All the President's Men. Although, no, Rocky would have been an original screenplay. All the President's Men was adapted. Anyway, the point is, same year as one of Goldman's Oscars. And I think he's right. The first one is a great screenplay and relatively original. Look how many movies, especially sports movies, have followed this formula. We've covered a lot of them, you could say, literally have, like Rounders, which we both loved. And he wins at the end. Damon probably shouldn't win. But then he's also the better poker player than everybody else he's playing against. He finally puts it all together and beats Teddy KGB. Rocky's never the better boxer, like we already said, but just somehow wins because he just outlasts Apollo. Apollo says in Rocky Three, the owner of the world's hardest head or something like that. That's why he wins. <laughs> so we keep saying that Stallone wrote this and he wrote all the first six Rocky films. He based this on his own life to a huge degree. You also see it in Three to some extent where he got to be so ultra famous, but he already was pretty famous by the time he made this film. But he also had some setbacks. So he's this huge hero after the first movie. The two producers, Winkler and Chardoff, take him up on stage when they won the Oscar. He wasn't a producer. You didn't see that back then. He got to present Oscars other times. I think he presented to Richard Dreyfus, maybe, or Dustin Hoffman, one of those, a couple years after Rocky came out. He was a big enough player that he was getting to do things like that. And yet, at the same point, he'd made some movies that were setbacks between Rocky and then Rocky too. So he was aping his own life 
and he goes back to the well in this movie like he would with all the Rocky films and then the Rambo films which were in the future from this film and he's made two sequels in his later years he directed the one in 2008 and he was in that one I think last year two years ago whatever it was which wasn't very good but he goes back to the well a lot as we know a lot of actors do of course he's writing his own life in a lot of ways People are all over you. They really are in three. So then he's under this incredible microscope by the time he did Rocky Three in 82. But in 79, he had been this big guy. Everyone wanted him for everything. Then they realized, well, he's not the greatest actor in the world. He can be pretty good in some things. And then he was not quite down his luck by the time he made Rocky Two. but he wasn't the guy anymore. So Rocky Two is a lot of Stallone's actual life on screen. I think that's absolutely true. And I think that's part of the reason I enjoy his performance so much in this movie is it feels real more so than a lot of performances do as good as his performance is in a creed or a creed two this one feels more real to me this feels more like Sylvester Stallone projecting his own feelings of what he's experienced and maybe is experiencing as he's filming this onto Rocky and onto the screen Burgess Meredith in this <laughs> He's not in it as much as I remembered him being in it. Like the wedding, he's just kind of there. The hospital, he's often just kind of there. We see shots of him in a church when Rocky is sort of holding vigil over Adrian at various points, and he's just kind of there. Which I liked, like I said earlier. I was glad that was the way it was done. But what he does is so good. The delivery is so on point all the time, and the lines are so great. You talked about how Rocky would get his head caved in as a southpaw in particular, right? And... There's a moment in the gym when he's back training again, Rocky, and Mick tells him, Southpaws are a nightmare. They always lead with their head. Right's no damn good. They should be outlawed. Why don't you tell me this when I was fighting, Mick? I didn't want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> or something. Just under his breath. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I want to use my right arm, Mick. You do it, I'm going to chop it off. Yeah. <laughs> the whole Stallone changing to righty from being a Southpaw in the first movie when he's fighting... I don't know how much of that is actually connected to the fact that Stallone had the actual pectoral injury where he tore the muscle. On the right side, yes. He couldn't throw punches the same way. And I know he was injured when he filmed that fight sequence at the end of Rocky Two, but whether or not that actually influenced the screenplay, I don't know. I read that too, and I don't know much about boxing, I guess, but I would think it'd be harder to throw haymakers with your right side. So if you hurt your right arm, right anything, and you're already playing a lefty in the movie, I would think it would be easier to be a lefty, a southpaw, wouldn't it? I guess not, but that's what I would have thought. I have no punching technique whatsoever, so I can't really say that. <laughs> I think about a typical fighter. The left is the jab, which is the more short punch, and the right's the one you come around with a lot more power. So if that's the injured arm, I think you said this in another podcast we did within the last couple of months, that he wrote himself to be right-handed because of that injury. What would the original draft have been? Because that injury happened very shortly before the filming of that fight was to occur. So the original draft of the screenplay mustn't have included the switch in hands. The only thing that makes sense actually to me, and I don't think Mickey ever says it, is that if you fight right-handed, then your right eye is more behind you. Your left eye is the lead. And of course, Rocky's right eye is the bad one. So that would help a little bit, but he can't see. That's the only logic I think for why that would help him. And then, of course, Mickey wants him to switch. He even says that, and then he says it during the fight. He says during the training, and you switch. No one's ever done that before. Something like that. But in the big fight at the end, I think it's the 13th or 14th round, he wants him to switch. No tricks, they ain't switching. Which I guess he never does. So that means he fought right-handed the whole time, which goes against everything we know about this guy. He wasn't taking his training seriously for months, by the looks of it, or at least for weeks. And then suddenly was just obsessed with it. That's another thing that's unrealistic. If you're not going to take your training seriously against the best fighter in the world, less than a year later, the first match was on New Year's Eve, I think it's supposed to be, and then this one is Thanksgiving. But Ryan, he can outrun children. He's ready, man. He's ready. <laughs> he is fast. He and Mel Gibson, when they run in movies, Mel Gibson, the Lethal Weapon films I'm thinking of, they look fast. You can make people look fast in the movies who maybe aren't, but those two guys look like they can really sprint. He does a good form on the running. Once... They do decide to start training for real and to take down Apollo Creed. Mick does say to Rocky that switching to being a right-handed fighter would protect his bum eye somehow. He does say that. He does say that. It doesn't make a ton of sense, the whole hand-switching thing. Ultimately. You're a Hall of Fame caliber right-handed hitter, but we're going to the World Series. You know what you should do a week before, a few weeks before? Learn to bat left-handed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is the time to do that. I do like in the training sequence, actually, that that guy, I think his name is Johnny, the black kid, I don't know if he's a kid, the younger black guy is the trainer this time. Smack yeah. him in the belly when he's doing the sit-ups. <laughs> I wanted that job. 
counting down the one-handed push-ups and tossing off the medicine ball. We see Al Sovani, the cut man. That's one thing about Stallone I like a lot too, because again, he wrote and directed most of the sequels, certainly the middle ones. And he uses people over and over again, which you should. Granted, they're supposed to be part of this world, but Al Savani is in the first two films as the cut man. He's only at the end of this movie. I don't think you see him until that point. And then he needs Talia Shire and Burt Young, and for so many of the movies, Burgess Meredith and Carl Weathers to be in them too, granted. But he has smaller roles for people. I told you about the guy who's the ring announcer with the crazy mustache in three, and I think in four as well, is also the guy who drew or painted, I should say, that big painting that's at the end of three and is in his restaurant in the sequels. Lou Filippo, the referee, that's his real name. He's in a lot of the movies. Stu Nahan, one of the commentators, he's in a lot of the movies. So yes, they should be in this world repeatedly. It's always weird in movies when people aren't when they should be, but it's usually because of contract disputes or you can't afford this person anymore or they died in reality. Maybe it's not loyalty, but it seems like it is to me. So I'd like that about Stallone as well. Whether it's loyalty or continuity, it works both ways and it's a nice little touch. We've talked a little bit about Adrian. She doesn't have a ton going on in this movie aside from being pregnant. Polly, you mentioned, is pretty good in this movie. He doesn't have a lot going on, and less Polly goes a long way. Less is definitely mm-hmm. more. Yep. It just occurred to me, he has that scene with Adrian just before she goes into labor where he rags on her about messing with Rocky's head. What are you doing to him? He's going to get killed out there because of you. And she says, no, I never hurt Rocky. Is that meant to be the impetus? She says that, goes into labor, goes into a coma, wakes up, and immediately remembers, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, Polly ragged on me. Go fight, Rocky. Is that supposed to be the connection? I never thought of it before, but I think you may have a point. You're reminding me of one of my favorite moments in wrestling. Jerry the King Lawler was a broadcaster most of his career in WWE, right? WWF back then. He was in one of the Royal Rumbles. He says to Jim Ross or Vince McMahon, whoever was the lead guy, it takes the king. He gets up, takes his headset and his crown off, walks into the ring. Bret Hart comes over, punches in the face. He goes right back out, <laughs> sits back down. So it's been seconds. Puts on the headset, says, to Noah King. <laughs> so maybe that's the same thing here. Adrian was about to say, all right, fine. I'll give Rocky my blessing. So when she comes back to life, and now I finish my point. I give you my blessing. Go win. Yeah, maybe you're right. I like that unbroken. <laughs> Maybe for her, no time's passed. It works, I guess. <laughs> it's been a few seconds. Oh, Mike Bentley's a lot smaller. Oh, the kid's born. Let's call him Robert. <laughs> that is one hairy kid, too, by the way. I was jealous. I know you mentioned a Rocky one. Obviously, Polly works at the meat packing plant, warehouse, whatever the heck kind of actual meat place it is. Shamrock Meats. Yeah, but what do they do? We see them cutting up the carcasses. We don't see them packing it so much. We see them throwing it into the back Rocky's of Rocky's packing it, isn't he? Is he? He's putting that coat thing around some of them and slapping it. He's carrying the big pieces of meat, too. Even though he hates the job, obviously, and it's physical hard work for a guy who's already in great shape. Friends never tasted this good. He's still got a sense of humor. He's trying to be a fun guy in what is a very dull job. And he brings home some nice cuts of meat, apparently. We don't see Polly there. He doesn't work there anymore. They switch jobs. Yeah, Polly becomes the leg breaker on the docks, and Rocky becomes the meat packing guy. He's dressed up, prototypical, low class guy that's trying to look high class with the Al Capone as dual ears in his lapel. They're kind of askew and not very nice, but he's got them. If you're a classy guy, you got a flower on your lapel, I guess, in the sense. While you eat a snow cone. While you eat a snow cone. <laughs> <laughs> Which you throw on the ground because you're a litterer. And he doesn't even give Rocky money when he says, you want to buy this car, Polly? He doesn't admit he's got money troubles and he's desperate for money, but Polly doesn't give him any money. He just takes the car. Rocky did go from flush with cash and buying a house to absolutely destitute and desperate for money to the point where he's selling his car on credit to his brother-in-law like that. Maybe six months, yeah. Probably less. But all I could think of is Polly trying to be intimidating to some guys in the rough ends of 1970s Philadelphia. <laughs> What is he going to do? Break down into tears like he does in Rocky IV? And, I always looked up to you guys. Come on. You're all hard. Just pay the money. Come on. He doesn't keep doing it. In the third movie, he's mad at Rocky in the beginning and then goes to jail after breaking a game that had Rocky's face on a pinball game. And then he says to him at the end of their almost fight in the jailhouse, in the parking garage, can I have a job? So from that point on, he's working with Rocky until Rocky Balboa when he had to go back to the meat place because they have no money. And when he has the weird and awkward relationship with the female robot in Rocky IV, while living with the Balboa family, apparently. You're the best. We talked a little about Apollo and Duke, but he calls him Tony in the movie, Tony Burton. Duke is saying, don't worry about it. Move on to somebody else. You beat him. It doesn't matter what people say. And Apollo's dwelling on this, which I can understand. We don't need this man in our lives. And we talked on Creed two that we did last year 
Sylvia Meals didn't play that same character in the sequels. They used Felicia Rashad, who A, is probably a better actress. She is a better actress. Sylvia Meals didn't do much. This is, I think, her first movie, certainly her first Rocky movie. She is beautiful, for sure. And she's in Rocky IV, because she's there when Apollo dies. She's right. Why are you reading this mail? But I like when Duke is hovering over his desk and he's saying, let it go. And all I could hear was the Frozen song. Let it go, let it go. Come on, Apollo, let it go. And if he could see into the future, would he maybe let it go? Because he might have a career still if he didn't take on this man and lose. Although why his career is over, maybe there's a subtle suggestion in this film that Apollo Creed was about to be over the hill anyway. I think in the first movie, there's some newspaper clippings backdated of Apollo Creed. So you get a sense of length of career. And we know that Apollo Creed has been the world champ for at least a couple of years. But I don't get the impression he's terribly old. And the man is ripped for the final fight. They say he's 220 pounds. And I know he's also a tall guy. I think Carl Weathers was a football player before he became an actor. He's about my height. He's about 6'4", 220. No, we talked about this in one of the Rocky movies. He's 6'1". I'm looking it up right now. He's 6'1", and he was born in 48. So in this movie, when they shot it, he would have been 30 when they were shooting it, I guess, probably. And then turned 31 when it came out. Still quite young, although as a boxer, it's not that young, but maybe supposed to be 33-ish or something like that in these movies. Not that that's that old, but it's getting up there. We've seen plenty of fighters fight into their 40s. George Foreman, George Foreman, famously, in not very good shape, mind you. But I think they announced Rocky as being 31 when he's fighting Apollo in this movie. So Creed is about the same age. This is probably the bulkiest that Stallone got for any of these Rockies. By 3-4 and onward... He's super shredded, probably on all kinds of steroids and something, Sylvester Stallone. Definitely on steroids. But he's super lean, right? He'd probably be about 170 pounds. So this movie's probably his heaviest. Even so, he's five foot seven, five foot eight, maybe. So at his heaviest, what is he, 180, 190? He's giving up a lot of strength, size, and muscle to Carl Weathers in this movie. Another reason he should lose, then. It says he's five nine and a half on the IMDb, but I think that's a little dishonest. He's probably not that tall. Whenever somebody puts in that half an inch, you got to question it. If you're <laughs> saying five nine and a half, are you really five seven? He does spend a lot of time wearing heeled boots in this movie. Rocky does. We see him playing stickball with the kids, wearing some sort of boots with about four inch heels on them. To your point about Apollo, maybe the subtle implication is that he is nearing the end of the line. It could be. But the only thing that I question about the whole thing is the fact that he came back at all to fight Ivan Drago, what, seven, eight years later in Rocky IV? Was it 86? It's six years in the chronology of the movies. But don't forget they're all crammed together because this one takes place right after the first one ended. So it ended at the end of 75 and going into 76. And this is Thanksgiving of 76. But the movie is actually released in 79. So, well, then again, there's time that passes with Rocky three and four and so on. It isn't right after like it is with this one. Within the chronology of the Rocky universe, you think about six years between Rocky two and four. Must be at least that much, yeah. Plus the kid grows up, he's seven or eight maybe by that point. That is true. So if he's even willing to say, even if it's not a professional bout against Ivan Drago, I'm willing to get in the ring and I think I can win. If he was... 45 in the Rocky universe. I don't think he does that as a character, Apollo Creed. He can't be any older than like 40, 41 in Rocky 4, probably. That probably puts Apollo Creed in his early 30s in Rocky 2. Okay. Reasonable enough. And even in Rocky 4, he looks great. Carl Weathers was still in oh incredible shape. He was nearly 40 by that point, but he looks unbelievable. He was probably making stews out of like a meat bone and a potato. And... <laughs> he is so funny in Arrested Development. <laughs> There's so many black actors in this, obviously him, but also Tony Burton, we just said, is in a ton of the films. Frank McRae, he's the boss of the meatpacking plant. Seems so real. He's only in maybe two scenes. He hires Rocky, then he has to fire him. Well, he lays him off, effectively. He was in four Sly movies in his career, including a couple with him before this. So again, the loyalty thing. It's, I like this Frank McRae guy. Let's get him in this movie. Frank Stallone. So Frank McRae, Frank Stallone. So Sly's brother is the one who's singing when Rocky's carrying Adrian home and I think it married. <laughs> is that Frank Stallone? I didn't recognize yeah, him. He can sing. That's him singing. Roberto Duran is a sparring partner. I think he's supposed to be the fast guy. If you can catch that little squirt, you can catch Apollo. And that's supposed to be Roberto Duran, the real-life fighter. Father Carmine is in Rocky Five. Even though Rocky Five is terrible, I know. I still like it. Everyone hates it, but I still enjoy it. I like that running theme with Father Carmine in this, where he goes to him, I'm so late. What are you doing? You need a blessing? But he does. And at the end of Rocky Five, Father Carmine gives him a blessing again. That's a nice little callback. 
We've talked in a previous Rocky podcast. The one thing about his character is that he often seems lonely. He's literally alone in the sequels because so many people have died. But even when people haven't died, he's somebody who, when he makes bad jokes, seems to just try to be connect with somebody on some level. He knows that he doesn't have any real good jokes. He tells that bad one to Adrian. She doesn't laugh. I thought that was hilarious when I was in third grade. <laughs> but she's one of his only friends. Polly, Mickey, obviously becomes a friend as the series goes on. Apollo does. But through most of the series, he spends a lot of time alone. So it is appropriate in the first movie that he does that big training sequence mostly alone. And this one, of course, he's got the kids running with him. Because I always remember that image so much of him walking away with the ball on the docks and bouncing the ball. It doesn't even take a ride home because he doesn't want to admit he's having money troubles. He's too proud. It's an interesting aspect of his character because he is innately likable. Rocky's just a nice guy. You just mentioned the Frank Stallone scene around the barrel fire as he's carrying Adrian home, literally carrying her home from the wedding. Yeah, and he knows that guy, I mean, his actual yeah. brother in reality, but the character is not his brother and he knows him anyway. But he doesn't really have that many friends for such a likable guy. That's the funny thing about it. He knows everybody and he jokes around with everybody. They seem to be in good terms, but none of them seem to be his friends. They're all just acquaintances that he gets along with. He's God's lonely man as... Travis Pickle says about himself in Taxi Driver. Ooh, good pull. I like that. Different in that case, because that's a psychotic person, and Rocky's anything but psychotic. I know you're a big vocalist yourself, rock band aficionado. When appropriate, I feel like we should find a nice barrel somewhere out in the streets <laughs> of Toronto, <laughs> light a fire, maybe bust out a microphone or two, and just have an acapella sing-along and, <laughs> and see how that goes for us. Take me back. <laughs> Do, 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 take it back. back. Do, 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 do. Now, Frank Stallone rendition aside, I'm reminded whenever I watch these movies, the first two anyway, four is a whole different kettle of fish, but the soundtrack, for my money, it's still one of the all-time great soundtracks in moviedom. Some of it is very much grounded in the 70s. You get some funky bass going in some of the Frank Conti stuff. Bill Conti? Bill Conti, sorry. Bill Conti. I got Frank Stallone and Bill Conti conflated. So you get a little bit of 70s funk mixed in there, but the Rocky fanfare stuff is so great. The gonna fly now moments. It's so iconic and emotive. That's what I love about it. In a similar way that I can just hear aspects of Star Wars, whether it's the dun 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 kind of stuff. We all love that, don't we? <laughs> yeah, but you just get that clenching dread feeling just from hearing that in the same way that you get the uplifted feeling when you hear the grand fanfare of a light side of the Force coming through in Star Wars. But it's the same thing for me with the Rocky movies. It doesn't matter what's happening. As soon as I hear that music, even removed from the movies themselves, it's got the same sort of emotional reaction for me. And real-life athletes undoubtedly have trained to this music. Oh, 100%. I the Tiger, undoubtedly, but also just the Rocky theme, the Gonna Fly Now song. And it's also a nice touch, too. You get that more soft tinkling, that... In the scene where he's putting the kid in the crib, cut to as he goes for the race, the run, with the kids. So you get the softer, tinkling one we hear in probably all the movies, but certainly the first five or six. But then right away to the most famous theme this movie has, and one of the most famous themes in any movie ever, Gonna Fly Now. It's so beautifully done. And I think that Bill Conti was hesitant to even come back and do Rocky II because he felt it would just be a rehash of the first one. But had he not, I don't know if the movie holds up in the same way, emotionally anyway. No, you're right. The music is a huge part of what made these films work, for sure. We like Rocky IV in spite of some of the really bad songs. Listen, really great songs, Ryan. Cheesy great. How about Two that? worlds collide, rivalations. Oh, God, don't say that one. <laughs> And we talked about the depiction of the sport on all the Rocky movies. Well, pre-Creed anyway. And even Creed 2 has got some unrealistic stuff. But they're never realistic, really. But they are intense, emotional, and fun. And we keep on referring to them in our podcast. So obviously we care. And this is one of the big things about the Rocky series. You care. What about the score factor? The whole Rocky series has always been pretty chaste. Not many boners in this movie, or any of them for that matter. The Creed movies are more sexy, really, with the attractive young actors Michael B. Jordan and Tessa Thompson. But Rocky and Adrian act like an old married couple before they've been married. When I first met you and you was wearing 18 sweaters. Three sweaters. I was wearing three sweaters. I knew there was a more special girl in Philadelphia under all those layers. He gets his new wife home from the wedding and he has to ask her, you mind very much if I take this off? He's taking her veil off. It's a chase married couple and they're supposed to be 30-year-old newlyweds. You know what's funny is in the first movie, people bring this up more now than they did then. Maybe women brought it up then and guys just weren't listening because we're bad for that. 
a lot of people would call what he does in the first film when he kisses her in the front when she's trying to leave. She says more than once, I want to go, I don't want to be here. I think she's just scared. I don't think she doesn't want to date him or doesn't want to kiss him. It's more a matter of, maybe I'm excusing him, I shouldn't be doing that. A lot of people have raised that point over the years, even though the movie's so old now. And Bev made that point in the podcast we did years ago for the first film. So maybe that's why, three years later, he's so polite and hesitant with a woman who's now his wife, where you would think she definitely wants him to go ahead and do all the great stuff because they're married. So I don't know, maybe that was something that Stallone realized, oh God, I did basically sexually assault her in the first film. She said no, and I said yes. I'm going to keep on coming. I don't know if they actually sleep together in the first movie, but then again, they're living together for a while, so probably... But he also never uses condoms. I never use them. <laughs> Invest in condomediums. It's a safe investment or a great investment. I don't know. I've never used them. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a lot of stuff in these movies that has aged terribly, but that old-timey notion of the maiden doth protest too much, but she wants you to push the issue. The movie treats, or the movies, treat race better than a lot of films do, but not the sexual stuff, at least in the first film. Ultimately, you're right. It's a not a sexy movie. Carl Weathers and Sly Stallone are two very attractive men in this yes, movie. Yes, Weathers but, especially, yeah. But there's too much other emotional undercurrent stuff going on. It's a not a sexy movie. If I'm scoring the movie, I'm probably giving it a 10 out of 10. Really? Going to go that high, are you? Yeah. Well, you did have Rocky Four as your favorite of all of our podcasts when we did the show with Airbud, our 50th episode. That was your favorite of our 50 episodes at that point. I don't know what I scored that movie or if we were even doing scoring at that point, but... I say 10 out of 10, and that's not me saying this is a perfect movie. I think we've picked apart some aspects of it that, whether we agree on them or not, are definitely present. There's flaws you can look at. It's not a perfect piece of art. But it's a great movie from a number of perspectives, and I love it just on a personal level. Okay, maybe I shouldn't give it a 10, because a 10 is just a perfect score. I'm going to say 9.5. My soft heart says 12 out of 10. Aww. My cynical brain says more like six, six and a half because of that second half, which is so ridiculous. So I'll leave it out and say eight out of ten. I do like this movie a lot. I've seen it so many times. I've seen it more than the first one. Of all of them, I've probably seen four of the most because it is so short. It's easy to just pop it in and get through it in 90 minutes. And also because it is so much ridiculous fun. But this one, in a lot of ways, has the most character and depth, certainly of the sequels. Absolutely the sequels. And that's why it's funny when people will say, oh, Rocky II is fine. I think Rocky II is close to being as good as the first film, which shouldn't have won the Oscar, but it did for Best Picture. Good movie, shouldn't have won the actual top prize. And Rocky II wasn't worthy of a ton of Oscars, but there's so much good stuff in it, especially in that first half. So I would say eight, but I'm being generous because there are some problems in it. I think for you, there's aspects of it that are more glaring and it doesn't bother me as much. The first movie is a fantastic movie, but I've always cared, for whatever reason, the relationship between Rocky and Adrian, even though it serves as his entire motivation for success, as you touched on earlier, that relationship on screen has never been a huge thing for me. I've never really so loved So these romance Rocky. movies, you haven't really cared that much about the romance. Okay. Well, as portrayed in this movie, it's just so chaste in the series that I'm like, eh. My favorite movie of the series is probably Rocky Balboa when it comes to that aspect of it, just because of the earnestness of Rocky's love for his deceased wife. The way that Stallone portrays that continued devotion to Adrian, even after she's gone, I think is very touching. That aspect of their relationship is less present in this movie. Obviously, it's a huge part of the first Rocky. And maybe that's why this movie speaks to me a little bit more strongly than the first one does. And Rocky IV, I love. It's a whole lot of goofy fun. <laughs> it's got a lot of silly, silly problems. So, Well, I'm not going to argue with you too much because I think I've explained that I am a big fan too. It's just that Apollo at the end should have hurt Rock Poiminant. Even with a good eye, Apollo should have hurt Rock Poiminant. But then we end up with Rocky 2 becomes Rocky 5. All of a sudden, there's not a lot of fun. The best way to sum up this movie, what you said earlier was exactly on point. The number of times we've referenced this movie, because this movie... Well, the series in general, but yeah, this one. Rocky II is, to me, the movie in the franchise that established a lot of the tropes that have subsequently become a mainstay of sports movies generally. So when we reference the franchise, to me, we're often referencing a lot of the stuff that was born out of this movie. You can watch so many sports movies. Yeah, well, that's just Rocky all over again. That speaks to the power of the movie flawed as it may be very fair and also it has the best scene maybe in any sports movie one of for sure and that is the great scene in the hallway so honest so true and even though he's holding back so emotional because here's a guy being told by someone who's become his friend you're done kid and he knows it's true and one of the best things that Stallone ever did although some of the stuff with the cancer especially in Creed whew, broke my heart yep okay in two weeks we're going to do something we generally avoid we'll cover the same sport back to back 
Normally we mix it up and try to keep sports at least a few months away from each other, but this will mark our second boxing film in a row and third since May. The Fighter! That's a picture people seem to love, all kinds of Academy Award love and whatnot. We were going to cover the not-so-loved Legend of Bagger Vance in the August 20th slot, but Prime pulled it down, and I have made it a mission not to have to pony up even five bucks for a movie if I can avoid it. Unlike Steve Buscemi when he steals the license plate at the airport. I will not pay that $4 without some pushback. So yes, August has become fight month here on Scoring at the Movies. But yes, the highly regarded and Oscar-winning David O. Russell flick, The Fighter, will be our huckleberry in two weeks. Also, we have some news about where you can find this podcast in the future. For the next few months, it will still be available on the Top 100 Project feed, so you can continue to download it that way, but it's not going to be there forever. Chris has gotten industrious, and we now have our very own feed through Podbean. Yeah. You can download our chats through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify, as you were doing before, but Podbean will now be the provider. The website is still under construction, but that ought to be hot soon, too. I'm sure there will be kinks in all this, so we'll give you time to wean yourself off the Top 100 Project feed, but if all goes well... You'll have to subscribe to Scoring at the Movies in the actual Scoring at the Movie feed by, let's say, October. Give you a few months. Yeah. If you have any questions or concerns, you can tweet us. I am at MovieFiend51. Chris is at Scoring at Movies. And that's it for Rocky Two. So, take her easy, you know. You ain't never getting rid of me. Absolutely. There's a line he says a lot in these movies, too. Absolutely. Absolutely.